Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash What's going on, Citizens Youth? Thank you for being here tonight for our Citizens Online Gathering. Uh, Pastor Sam here, coming at you from my office to your home. And so again, thanks for being with us. I'm excited. Uh, tonight, we are going to continue our journey through the book of Philippians. And our sermon series called Unfinished. Okay. Before we do that, um, I want to share something with you. Before we dive in, I want to tell you something. And I recognize it may spark some heated debate. Okay. I recognize that this is not something you typically share on a first date. It's not something you tell someone if you don't really know them. Because people are very opinionated about this. Emotions run high, so, but I'm gonna share it anyway, okay? Because I trust you, I trust that you love me, and I think this is a safe place. And so tonight, I wanna begin by telling you what my favorite Disney movie is, okay? I know, see, already, already you're, you're recognizing that this is not an opinion, but this is right or wrong. And so, no judgment, please, but I wanted you to know that my favorite Disney movie is, and always has been, Aladdin. Ah, I know. Anybody out there with me? Anybody love the movie Aladdin? Um, judge me if you will, man, but I'll even tell you, I loved the remake. I thought Will Smith killed it as a genie, and uh, it's just further cemented Aladdin as my all-time favorite Disney movie. So, I love the, the, the movie, obviously, because of the music. A whole new world. Come on now, right? You never had a friend like me. I wish. Um, the music is awesome. The action, the story but what really cemented this movie as my all-time favorite Disney movie is that there's a character who stole the show. And already, I, I bet you can imagine who it is, but my all-time favorite character in my all-time favorite Disney movie is the genie, okay? Some of the best scenes, some of the best songs come from the genie with Rob Williams and Will Smith just making magic on the screen. And so I think that he is awesome. I love the character. He's hilarious, but beyond being hilarious, there's something fascinating about the idea of getting three wishes. If you could wish for any three things in the world, what would you wish for? Think about that. Again, a comical show, a comical movie, it's hilarious, but at the same time, it's kind of mind-bending, right? There's, there's this idea, if I could wave a magic wand and have any three things, what would I make come true? You see, I'm talking about Aladdin tonight, not because we're gonna talk about Disney movies all night, but because this week, as I've been preparing for this sermon series, I have found myself asking for three things. You see, I'm looking at our text that we're gonna go over in the next few moments, and, and the Lord, through this passage, has led me, and I'm hoping will lead you to ask Him for three things. And so what I wanna do is together tonight, I want us to grab our Bibles. I want us to look at these three things. And then I want us to end by praying and asking the Lord for these three things. So can I show you? Can, I sh can we take the next few moments and lean in and see what the Lord would have us ask Him for? Excellent. Let's do it. We begin in verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. All right, that's our entire passage tonight. Let's go back to the top and read it again, okay? He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. We're going to pause right there because just in those first few words, we see the very first thing that Paul is asking for, and it is this. The first thing we're praying for is abundant love. Abundant love. Students, what is love? What is love? I'll spare you, don't worry. But what is love, right? We say that we love our parents, we love our family, we love our friends, and then we say we love pizza, and we love cupcakes, and we love video games. And so if somebody who didn't know our language is trying to understand what we mean by love, they would say, wait, you, you feel like your friendships are video games and greasy snacks, what? Right? What is love? We know that there's different types of love. We know that we can mean different things, obviously, by that word. And so the question is, what does Paul mean when he says the word love? What is love? You see, the thing that I think of when I look around our culture, when I watch television and movies, when I, when I listen to music, I think that the most common type of love in our culture is what I call Romeo love. Okay, Romeo love. And if you do not know the story of Romeo, oh, please go online and just read Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. And let me just, I'll share with you just a few lines from the, from the, uh, the story of Romeo, all right? Because you know Romeo and Juliet. Ah, we know that they go together. But did you know that before Juliet, there was actually another girl? You see, Romeo is actually introduced to us in the play and he's depressed. And so he comes onto the stage and we find him just depressed and he is so sad and his boy says, Romeo, what's wrong? And he says, man, I don't even wanna live anymore. Why? Because the girl that he was obsessed with just told him that it will never work out. Ah, ouch. And so here, look at the picture of Romeo. He's just, ah, he's heartbroken. He is crushed. He says to his boy, he says, I have fallen in love, but unfortunately I am out of her favor. And so he is experiencing the loss of love that cannot be. And so, like most of you, he's got his boys, right? And so he has Benvolio here and Mercutio, and they're like, you know what, Romeo? We're gonna cheer you up. And so Benvolio, he comes over and he goes, bro, I have an idea. I know what you should do. And Romeo's like, ah. Tell me. And Benvolio says, listen, I've been thinking about it. I got it. All you have to do is forget about her. It's easy. Just forget about her. And Romeo, he says, oh, teach me how I should forget to think. And Benvolio is like, bro, it's easy. Give liberty unto thine eyes and examine the other beauties. <laughs> Dude, everybody has a Benvolio in their life, right? He's like, you want to forget about her? Why don't you just open your eyes and look at all of the other beautiful women? And listen to what Romeo says. I know, we're having fun tonight, right? But listen to what Romeo says. He goes, He that has been struck in blind cannot forget. The precious treasure of his eyesight is lost. Farewell, sight. Thou canst not teach me to forget. He goes, how can I forget her? Without her love, it's like I'm blind because every other beauty that I ever see again will be like nothing compared to her beauty and her love. <laughs> 
So Mercutio comes along and Mercutio is way more practical. He's like, bro, you want, I, I know what you can do. You want to you be cheered up? All we got to do is dance, right? He says, nay, gentle Romeo, we must have you dance. And so what they do is they bring him to a masquerade party, okay? And so here he is, you see him, they have the masks on, it's, you know, Phantom of the Opera kind of style, right? Everybody's wearing their thing. And he goes, Romeo, all you gotta do is dance and you'll feel better, trust me. And Romeo's, ah, and he says to them, not I, believe me, you have dancing shoes with nimble soles, but all I have is a soul of lead that stakes me to the ground, I cannot move. And so this guy, like nothing is going to cheer him up because he has experienced love until one moment. Woo! Until one moment, right? And there is a lady who walks into the room and his jaw drops. Boom! And he has this look on his face, right? Her name is Juliet. And immediately, right, like he just said, I'll never love again. Uh, that was the most love I've ever had. That was the most beautiful one I've ever seen. And immediately he says, as she walks in, what lady is that which doth enrich the hand of that dude? She teaches the torches to burn bright. And then here's my favorite line of the whole play, ready? Did my heart ever love until now? This is true sight, for I never saw true beauty until this night. What? You just said that you've experienced love and now you're saying you've never even loved before. You're saying that you're blind because you, she was the most beautiful woman and now you're saying, whoa, 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 this is true beauty. Can, can we just do a replay, instant replay of his face here? I want you to look at his face. Boom. Right? Every dude, <laughs> every dude that's watching the stream right now, you know exactly what that face feels like, right? He's like, I'm just, I can't. <sighs> right? Every dude knows that feeling and he knows what it's like as that girl walks into the room. And so this is what Romeo was feeling and he calls it love. Students, is that love? Is it? I mean, I guess if you get to define the word love, right? Let's look at it. What did Romeo have? What, what, what he called love, what I'm calling Romeo's love or Romeo's love, it was feeling based, right? One minute it was there and then in the next minute he had totally moved on. Okay, that's Romeo love. It's selfish. He didn't care about that first girl. He, didn't, he doesn't even know the name of that second girl. And yet everything is focused on him. How do I feel? Am I able to move on? What about what I want with no thought to what another person wants? It was fleeting, right? He just went from zero to 100 like that. So it's very fleeting. It wasn't substantial. It was empty. It's surface. He just declared his love for Juliet and he doesn't even know her name yet, right? Very surface, very surface. And then so finally I'll summarize, Romeo love is immature. It's young, it's immature, it is not developed yet. And so it's very different from what Paul means here, right? So to bring it back, when Paul says, I'm praying for abundant love, he uses this word called agape. Agape is like the opposite of Romeo love. Let me explain. Agape love is action-based. Love here, it doesn't talk about how you feel. Love in the Bible, where, where Paul's talking here, doesn't refer to the butterflies in your belly or if you're happy. No, when he says love, he's talking about action. There's action. This is a willingness to inconvenience yourself tangibly for someone else. It's others-focused. 
You're not doing what you think is best for you. You're doing what's best for someone else. Agape love is constant. It, your, your feelings and your emotions may go up and down and may be turbulent, but love as an action, it's constant. Even when I don't feel like it, I choose to love, I choose to act in love for your best interest. It's rich. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about rich as opposed to empty and surface. There, there's a depth to it and it's rich and it's meaningful. It's mature. It's mature. You see, students, our culture has a lot of Romeo love going on around here. But you know what Romeo love is like? Romeo love is like you going into your parents' room, grabbing their checkbook, and you write a, a check for $1 million, and you give it to whoever you want. Okay, I mean, when you write a check, right, it's kind of a fake check at that point because you're not your mom or your dad. When you write a check like this, it is very easy to write, but it means nothing. That's what Romeo love is like. It's very easy to write checks of love. It's very easy to use the L word. But if it's Romeo love and it's not backed by anything, it means nothing. But you see, agape love is worth something because it always translates to action. And so Paul, in our first prayer here, he says, I pray that your love would increase. I pray that your love would grow, not the warm fuzzies in your tummy that will go away in three weeks after a disagreement. I am praying for a mature, other-focused love that causes you to put the good of others before yourself. I'm praying that you would have that kind of love, Paul says. And so maybe you, you're hearing my distinction between love and you go, nah, I'm pretty sure he's talking about Romeo love. Well, I can prove you wrong. I can know for certain that he's not talking about that because in a few weeks, when we get to Philippians chapter two, verse five, he's going to show you exactly the picture that he's talking about when he, talk, when he uses the word love. And we're gonna see the ultimate example of love when we get there. And so students, I ask you, what would it look like for this student community to be marked by this overflowing, abundant love? What would it look like to have a community that is marked by action as we step out of our comfort zones and make other people welcome? Action as we stop labeling other people based on their past and see them as Christ sees them. Action as we make a phone call to encourage someone. Action as we write that letter to our middle school pen pal. Action as we call someone up and pray for them on the phone. What would it look like to have a community marked by abundant love? You see, I think that Citizens Youth, and again, I may be biased a little bit, but I think that Citizens Youth is a, a community marked by love. I really do. I really do. But you see, Paul is not saying this to the Philippians because they weren't loving. No, no, no. Look what he says. I, I think the Philippians were extremely loving, as we'll see in coming weeks. He doesn't say this prayer because they weren't loving. No, no, no. He simply says, yes, you're loving, but I want you to have more. I want you to be more. I want your love to abound more and more and more and more because students, we don't want you to do a single action of love, a single act of love. We want you to be overflowing with love. This is love. See, love is not something that will ever be done. In this lifetime, you don't get to check off the box. Loving, check. No, no, no. Every single one of us, even the most loving among us, can abound more. And so, Lord, help us to love more and more and more. Let's pray.
Amen. Amen. Thank you. Our prayer today is not just for love. You see, as Paul prays, he now adds a second element to his prayer. Let's look what, he, what we see. With knowledge and all discernment, so that you may be able to approve what is excellent. And so first, he prays for abundant love. Second, he prays for wise discernment. He says, I want you to abound in love, yes, and I pray that with your love, you would have knowledge and discernment. Okay, and so knowledge simply means understanding. Do you know things? Do you know who God is? Do you know the gospel? Do you know truth? Do you know the scriptures? Do you know sin? Do you know? Do you understand? Discernment is the ability to rightly distinguish between two things. Okay, so knowledge, do you understand it? And then discernment, can you, do you have the ability to distinguish between two separate things? And so let me give you an example, okay? Let's say that we were going on a citizen's camping trip. I'm not talking about glamping. I'm not talking about where we, where we have a cafeteria and we have prepackaged meals. I mean, we are truly roughing it. Anybody wanna come with me camping? Okay, all right, maybe, maybe not. Maybe some of you do enjoy camping, but you go, Sam, if you're there, I'm gonna think twice. That's fair, that's fair, okay? Uh, but imagine we go camping, we're roughing it, we don't bring any food with us. We will live off of the land like men and ladies, okay? And so we're camping. And so you, one, one of you there on the couch, your job is to build the fire. One of you there on the couch, your job is to go and set up the tents. One of you guys there, you're on security. I don't know, you're, whatever you do on camping. And me, my job is I need to go and gather food. So I roll up my sleeves rub dirt on my face. I'm like Rambo, right? First blood, here we go. And I go out and I collect greens and plant life filled with chloroplast and the life of the sun and I bring it together and I throw down the most bomb camp salad you guys have ever had and you guys are eating it and you're like, wow, Sam, okay, I see you. I'm like camp salad man, that's my job. And so it's delicious, right? And it's good until a few hours later and it hits you as you're falling asleep. And as you lay there in your tent, moaning in your sleeping bag, writhing in pain, it hits you in that moment of late night hour. It would have been great if I had the knowledge and the ability to distinguish between edible plants and poison ivy. Yes, I know I went there, but you get my point, right? That is what Paul is talking about. He says, in the same way, I want you to have that kind of knowledge and discernment about life so that you can tell the difference between what is garbage and what is excellent. So that you can tell the difference between actions that God would approve of and things that he doesn't. Students, that you would know the difference between decisions that bring glory to God and decisions that will hinder you and others from knowing who he is. Students, there are few things more valuable than this discernment. You see, there are scores of people out there who cannot tell the difference between right and wrong on their own. There are scores of people who need to be micromanaged by rules because they don't have that understanding and discernment. And so they need to be told, don't do this, do this. Don't do this, definitely don't do this, do this and do this. You see, and if something wasn't in the rule book, they would say to you, uh-uh-uh, wait a minute, 
You didn't say we couldn't do this. Students, I'm praying that you have this knowledge and discernment so that you can know what actions are excellent and what actions are good and what actions are profitable and what actions bring glory to God. I'm inviting you tonight to pray for each other that you may be able to discern what choices, what lifestyle decisions are best and appropriate for someone who follows Jesus Christ. So let's pray for wise discernment. Lord, we acknowledge that all wisdom comes from you, that the wisdom of man is foolishness to you. According to your scripture, we ask for your wisdom and await knowing that you grant wisdom generously to those who ask. We pray that you will help us live in our gospel identity. Lord, may we be so identified as your adopted children that we will not seek favor in the eyes of others, nor self-value through achievements, nor be resigned to hopelessness. As we go about our daily life, we pray for your Holy Spirit to help us discern right from wrong, but perhaps more so to discern right from mediocre. Through different pressures of life, we know you are with us. We know you are for us. Who can stand against us? Lord, we submit to your wisdom for your glory. And in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. The third thing in his prayer is now the result of having abundant love and wise discernment. Look what he says. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. See, Paul, he prays for love for these people. He prays for wise discernment. And now his third and final prayer is he prays for Christ-like purity. You see, when you use discernment to avoid sin, the result is that you begin living a lifestyle. You begin walking in a way that is more and more pure. There's not this mixing of, of godliness and worldliness. You begin living a lifestyle that is increasingly blameless. You can distinguish the path of, of blessing and obedience from the path of wickedness and the results that you are choosing to follow Christ and looking more and more like Him every day. And so Paul's prayer here is that your life would be set on a trajectory of purity so that on the day of Christ, you would be found pure and blameless. Students, the day of Christ, this is super important. This is an extremely important part of our theology and of what we believe of our faith. You see, we believe that Jesus is coming back. He will return. And when he does, will he find us doing what he told us to be doing? Will he find us faithful? And so on that day, we will stand before him. And on that glorious day, we want to be found pure and blameless. And we want to hear the, the, the best words that we could ever hear on that day. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And so students, we want to have Christ-like purity. But here's what I see here. I want to show you something. What I see from this verse is that there are actually two parts to Christ-like purity, okay? There are two halves to the purity that he's describing here. What I notice is this, that living for Jesus is more than just the absence of sin, it's the presence of fruit. See what he says here? That, that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. 
And so as we pray this third and final prayer here, we need to pray not simply that we would walk a sinless life, but that we would also walk in a way that is full of good deeds. Not just what we're saying no to, but that we would be saying yes to a lifestyle, a, 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 a mentality and a behavior that says, action, I love you. Action, I will do good works. Action, I'm going to be filled with the fruit of good works and righteousness. And so I want you to imagine you get to heaven one day. Or imagine the day of Christ where we stand before the Lord and he says, what did you do with the things I gave you? And you say, Lord, I didn't party. I didn't have sex before marriage. I didn't cuss. I didn't do drugs. I didn't watch pornography. I didn't gossip. I didn't mess with witchcraft. Great. I mean, yes, right? That is a pure and blameless lifestyle. And that is awesome to the glory of God. But there's more. That's only half of the equation. Lord, may we be a fruitful people who are living lives of good works, who are living lives full of righteousness. And so right now, let's pray for Christ-like purity. Thank you. Amen. And then students, here's how we're going to end tonight. I said to you a few weeks ago that I want you to lean in to this sermon series, that I want you to listen to what the Lord wants to say to you through his word. And so tonight, I want you to look at your own soul in the mirror of God's word. I want you to look at your soul. I want you to take inventory and ask yourself, do I need to grow in abundant love? Am I lacking wise discernment? Do, do, does my life reflect the Christ-like purity that we just described here? If you need any one of those three things, you're with me on that, okay? We need this, students. And so here's the good news for you that recognize that. Here's what I want you to realize. Look back at the passage. These verses here, what we just looked, notice these are not a series of commands. Paul doesn't say, be more loving, be more wise, be more pure. No, no, no. This entire passage, look at the first few words. He says, it is my prayer. See, those commands, they'll come later in the book. But right now, first and foremost, we recognize that this passage is a prayer. This is a request for God to produce these things in us. And do you know why it's a prayer? Let me tell you why, students. It's because your growth is from God, for God. Your growth in love, discernment, and purity, those things are from God. 
If you're trying to be more loving, wise, and pure, and you're not asking God to work it in you, then you gotta rewind because you're off. These things will be worked in you through Jesus Christ. Your growth, your faith, your maturity, these are are not self-improvement plans. Prayer is not a nice gesture. Prayer is not something that you do if you have good manners. Prayer is our desperate plea as the community of God. Lord, change me. Father, grow me. Because when God saves you, He begins actively working in you, producing fruit in you that otherwise would not be there. See, your growth is from God. But it's also for God, right? Look at the result of this prayer. He says the last words, to the glory and praise of God. See, we want to grow. We want this fruit to be in our life so that when other people see it, they would see how good and how loving and how wise God our Father is. When people see the fruit in my life and in your life, they're going to give Him the glory and praise. They're going to give Him the credit because they know you and they know me and they know this is not us naturally. And so it must be God who is working in us and growing us. See, this is not you, it's God. And so we're asking for these three things because your growth is from God for God. And so students, let's continue worshiping tonight and ask the Lord for these three things. Love you guys.